Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source of news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today I'm bringing you the latest episode of our executive interview series. In September, Formabs announced Guillaume Bailiard as the president of its newly formed healthcare division. Bailiard has operated in the healthcare sector for 25 years, serving in leadership roles for early stage medical companies, while also spending close to a decade at GE Healthcare. At Formlabs, a company which has sold more than 25,000 3D printers into the market, he will head up its healthcare business unit and work to create a global growth strategy that spans product development and go-to-market planning. He joins us on the Additive Insight podcast to discuss that strategy, while also outlining what motivated him to join Formlabs, what he thinks of the opportunities in healthcare for 3D printing, and the vision he has for Formlabs in medical and dental. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head over to tctmagazine.com, where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Hi, Guillaume. Thanks for joining me on the uh, Additive Insight podcast today. How are you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, so to start, I, um, I wondered if you could tell me about your, I guess your you know, 25-year career, pre-form labs, how you became involved in, in the healthcare space, and I guess what some of your, your roles and responsibilities have been throughout your career so far. Yeah, sure. So you know, it's always fun to, to sit back and, and look back at a career. It's been, yeah, it's been 25 plus years. Um, it actually started in healthcare long ago when I was at, uh, I was at Georgia Tech, an engineering school in Atlanta and was in a co-op program. And uh, in that pro- program, I was, I was fortunate enough to work for Genzyme Surgical as a mechanical engineer and did a lot of design work for them. And that was my first introduction into healthcare. Uh, I got hooked pretty quickly. Um, I was able to, to do actually some 3D printing back in the day. Uh, this was in, in the uh, in the mid 90s, and um, and was able to do some medical device work and interface with surgical with surgeons, and um, and certainly got hooked on on the the, the ability to help uh, patients in uh, in uh, in an engineering way. From there, I went to G Healthcare. Was there for about ten years. Um, worked in an imaging spaces and variety of roles. So this is MRI, CTs. Uh, obviously, imaging is a critical part to 3D printing, so it's kind of an interesting segue to what I'm doing today. Uh, and then did a variety of, of, of startups in medical devices and cardiology, surgery, and neurology, to name a few. So, um, so long career, large company and, and, and small company, and, um, and now here at Formlabs. Cool. So what, um, tell me first, you know, before, before Georgia Tech, so, you know, kind of early years, what, where your interest in, in healthcare came from? How did you... How did you come to pursue that? What was your um, your kind of your interest? Where did that come from in, in medical and healthcare? Yeah, so pre Georgia Tech, um, so we're talking now high school. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, in, in if we're talking about pre Georgia Tech, um, then you know, I, I, actually I joined Georgia Tech as an aeronautical engineer. Was interested in, right. in design work as a mechanical engineer, but in aeronautical. 
And, and frankly, it's a little bit of luck. You know, the co-op program at Georgia Tech is a, is a phenomenal program that allows you to work for three months and then study for three months. Mm-hmm. And then you have an opportunity to kind of interview in different roles and get placed. And um, I would say it's a little bit of luck of the draw that at Georgia Tech, while in the university, I, I got placed into a healthcare role. Um, but again, you know, when you, when, when you sit there with a surgeon, you design a product, you see them use it in a cadaver, you see them use um, in models, and then you see that, that, that the design uh, get implemented and actually used in, in real patients. Uh, it's, it's tough not to get fired up and excited about that. And that certainly happened at early age uh, in, uh, while I was at Georgia Tech. Okay, cool. So you, you're, recent, um, you're recently appointed to your to role at Form Lab. So can you tell me what attracted you to the, to the opportunity at, at Form Labs as a company, I guess, as, uh, you know, within, within the 3D printing industry? What attracted you to the, to the role at the company, the role in the industry? Yeah, sure. There's, there's two things that attracted me to Form Labs. The first, first and foremost, it starts with the, the technology of 3D printing. And as a, as a tech guy or as a techie guy, it's really, it's really easy to, to get excited about a technology that can truly, truly enable personalized medicine and improve patient outcomes. And that certainly seems like a buzzword to talk about personalized medicine. A lot of people claim to do it or, or strive to get there. Very few actually accomplish it. Certainly, there's a lot of momentum in that direction. But you know, when, when you see a print of a surgical guide that is printed based off a patient anatomy and is unique to that patient and helps a surgeon deliver better patient outcomes and reduce uh, OR time, that's, that is the definition of personalized medicine. And certainly, first and foremost, that's what got me excited, is the ability of 3D printing, be able to, um, to have that impact on, on patient outcomes. The second is, is Form Labs, the company. And, and Form Labs, the company whose mission is to get this critical technology and 3D printing and that capability in, in as many hands as possible, is something that I got really excited about. Um, so Formlabs' mission is, is essentially to make the traditional ultra expensive 3D printing accessible to anybody uh, while, while not compromising on print quality, which is a key. Uh, and that mission has worked. Uh, the, co- the company was founded in 2011, has shipped 100,000 plus printers, printed 100 million plus parts, and now has grown to 800 employees with 250 of those in R&D. And that also got me kind of excited because that those 250 in R&D are continuously looking to push the boundaries in 3D printing. Um, and again, that's, that's certainly something like, that, I, I, that I could get behind. Mm-hmm. So during your time in the, in the healthcare industry, you mentioned, um, you know, I think first exposure to 3D printing was, was mid-90s. So throughout your time from, from the mid-90s onwards, how often have you come across 3D printing and and what have you learned about the technology in that time? So what have I learned over the time? Well, first, it did clearly start uh, in the mid-90s when I was working at Genzyme. And, and 3D printing was a, a, a massive enabler to allow us to iterate on, on prototyping uh, in that role. Uh, we were designing medical devices for cardiac surgery. So it, it allowed us to very quickly iterate and respond to, to, um, to the needs of, of surgeons so we, we can deliver to them the right solutions. Um, albeit at that time, it was, it was something we had to outsource. So there was still some lag. We didn't have the capabilities of, a, of a form lab printer in our own R&D facilities. So we had to outsource it to, to service bureaus. But certainly at that stage, it already was impacting how we could deliver 
um, more more appropriate uh, devices. Uh, since then, it's it's just propagated in a lot of different ways. I mean, I've seen applications in interventional cardiology. In my last role, I was in an in interventional cardiology role um, and in working with Boston Scientific. And there was this particular device in, in Watchmen that helps resolve AFib. Um, so 3D printing was used for sizing of those implants and being able to size and fit the right implant is super critical to, to delivering uh, the best potential outcomes. Um, surgical guides for knee surgeries is clearly something being used today and something we're part of. Um, that's, that's also part of personalized medicine. Uh, 3D models to help surgeons plans for complex spine deformities. Uh, in previous role was in a, in a, in a business where we were with, with spine surgeons and they were using 3D models to help, again, in those complex deformities to plan. It's very nice to have a two-dimensional uh, 3D image that's, that's reconstructed, but um, in, 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 the in the surgical suite, to have something that's got a one-to-one -one ratio really helps um, facilitate the entire team's ability to, uh, to be more efficient in the OR. Uh, and then printing prosthetics, that's another obvious one where there's, there's numbers of cases where if you can do something that is patient specific again through 3D printing can dramatically improve patient mobility. Um, and the last one, which is a new one for me, actually, uh, I was at the dentist recently and had some crowns made. Now there's dental applications where we are in the dental uh, in the dental market in a big way at Form Labs, but to be able to print uh, temporary crowns, uh, surgical guides for 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 the dental market, um, models to help uh, deliver uh, more uh, more uh, more streamlined workflows to get um, retainers to the patients um, are all applications that are actually today they're here today. So 3D printing still. Is it the early stages? We're still scratching the surface, but certainly there's a tremendous amount of applications that that are that are being benefited by 3D uh, printing today. I wanted to go back to um, something you said there when when you were first using the technology back in the 90s, is that you were having to to outsource um, the technology at that stage. How much of a difference would it have made for for you and, and your colleagues back then to have to be able to have the technology in house to be able to afford to have say a formless printer, obviously the company wasn't founded back then, but a, a formless printer in in house, you know, with with your guys able to get their their hands on the tech. It would have been, um, well, back back then we were dependent on a hundred thousand dollar plus printer, and it's and and that cost is is just part of it. You also need the human resource to actually go run those printers. Mm. Um, so they, those those have certainly have a need and still have a need today in certain applications. But for, for a guy that's doing a mechanical engineering design and medical device design, and we see this today because we sell today to Boston Scientific, to Smith and Nephew and Strikers of the World, for them to be able to iterate on the spot based on feedback um, within hours is, 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 uh, is a massive enabler to be able to, uh, to accelerate the R&D process. And there's been studies that actually have shown the, the impact to be able to do so. So um, it was it, it was a huge advantage because I didn't have to go cast mold whatever uh, and I could 3D print, but certainly there was a delay. Um, and, and be able to do it on site at the point of care is a um, is a huge enabler to to be able to iterate quickly and um, and become more efficient, which is which is what we're all about. Mm -hmm. um, you you touched on a few of the you know the applications of 3D printing in the medical space um, just a couple of minutes back. What as a as kind of an overall question, what's your assessment of the impact 3D printing has had um, within medical and, and healthcare so far? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we're just, again, we, I think we're just scratching the surface on the impact of 3D printing. There's, there's the great thing is there's a lot of applications today that are incredibly meaningful and, and there's a lot of clinical data and studies that have been conducted that, that demonstrate that uh, 3D printing can, can, uh, can dramatically impact uh, patient outcomes. Uh, but we're, we're clearly just scratching the first, the, the surface. I mean, you probably are aware on, on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you're probably aware of a recent printed ear of, of, um, of a human cells by 3D Biomed Therapeutics. Um, now that's, that's pushing the boundaries uh, of where we're potentially going to be heading. And we're probably a long way from, from being able to print organs, but I mean, wow, imagine a world where we can start to repeatedly um, with, with positive clinical outcomes, be able to print, uh, you know, print a kidney, right? So that's, that's kind of the, I'm talking about the horizon there, but today, um, modeling, pre-surgical guides um, are all short-term wins that we can we can uh, capitalize on with 3D printing. Prototyping is clearly one that we've already talked about that that also has has major benefits. Specific to form labs, what do you what do you make of the work form labs has done in the sector today? And as a secondary question to that, I want to know because you've been in the healthcare space for for all of the time that Formlabs has been around. Have, were, you, were you hearing the name Formlabs? Were you aware of Formlabs as a, as a company prior to, to joining them? Uh, I had heard of Formlabs um, and clearly having been in an imaging fi- uh, uh, space, um, clearly had heard of, of Formlabs, but wasn't integrally involved in the, uh, in the use of Formlabs. But mm-hmm. what, you know, to answer your question on, on what has Formlabs done in this, in this sector, uh, to date, um, you know, one of the to go back to why I joined Formlabs in the first place. One of the primary factors that attracted me is that we have 250 plus folks in R and D constantly working to push the boundaries of what we can do. I mean, for for some 3D printing companies, 250 may be their entire their entire business. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to me, the the dedication and the percentage of spend on R and D is part of what we are, and that that really um, that really, to me, has paid dividends. And, and, um, and since we are just scratching that surface and we're looking at the horizon, what we can do next, that investment R&D is, is super critical. Um, I'll focus on the dental space for a second, for a moment. Um, Formlabs was one of the pioneers of bringing accessible 3D printing to the dental market with the launch of what was at the time called the Form 2. Now we're on the Form 3, where, where a different iteration, a different generation. But at, at the time, it was called the Form 2 in 2015. And we now today have the largest install base in the world um, of 3D printing in the dental space, which is now attracted, which is exciting to me, which has now attracted a number of 3D printing uh, players, which is, again, fantastic because it only validates the value of 3D printing in this market and the opportunity that's ahead of us. So um, uh, so that's a place where we were kind of on the forefront uh, and did a really good job of, of, again, accessible printing was key to that. Because if you want to have you can't buy a hundred thousand dollar three D printer and put it in a, in, a, in, a, in a dentist office, but yeah, you can you can buy a five to ten thousand dollar printer and now be able to deliver point of care service um, in an accessible way. So exciting to see how that market's kind of flourished. And I think we're still kind of an early phase, but you know we've we've got twenty five thousand plus printers in the space now, and um, certainly exciting to point to. Um, and this is why we're doubling down on building out this 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 uh, this healthcare business units. Uh, in order for us to be able to better serve the, the the healthcare market in general, for us the healthcare market is is medical and dental. So we've got kind of two 
two uh, two pillars of that healthcare uh, business unit. But um, you know, we've got 800 employees. We've got a lot of employees that have been dedicated to healthcare. Um, but you've got to kind of to really have the the top down strategy deployments, getting everyone rowing in the right direction. Um, it's hypercritical to build out the business unit. So the timing is perfect for us to be able to do this. I'm, I'm super excited to be part of that. Today's episode is sponsored by Nexa3D. Here, Michael Curry, Vice President and General Manager for Nexa3D's desktop business unit, discusses ultra-fast printing on the desktop with the zip, the benefits of open versus closed material systems, and creating sustainable 3D printers and consumables. So people, once they get a technology that is four to, to, to eight times faster, you see this really big behavior shift where people don't go back. You had people that were would go to Blockbuster or other rental uh, locations and get videos. You know, they might wait wait a week to get uh, a video in stock. Then along came Netflix and kind of disrupted that with on-demand CDs. And then, of course, Netflix then got disrupted by, say, iTunes from Apple. Uh, then Netflix disrupted again with the idea of, of true streaming. So you don't see people who are streaming now going back and asking for uh, a cheaper overnight download from iTunes. Like that's, that's not the market anymore. And so we're seeing the same thing for 3D printers. Once you experience a much faster speed, it makes it very difficult for you to want to go back to a slower speed. Uh, so as an example, we just uh, had a client who just received the zip and he did a side-by-side -side print on another very common SLA desktop printer in the market. Uh, the print that he traditionally would do took him five hours. The one he did on the zip took him 45 minutes. So that's a seven times improvement. And what that means for him is that, you know, he can now print by the hour each day. Uh, whereas before he might do one print in the morning and then kick off an overnight print. So his productivity is going to be dramatically in increased. Or if you're trying to do a bit of a batch production of, of parts, you'll be able to get that many more batches done in a, in a given period of time. So I think that once people see that and experience that, it's going to be very difficult to go back to a, a, a slower process. Can you talk about the materials that Zip uses in regards to open versus closed material systems? So the Zip in itself is an open uh, platform for material development. We are really taking a close look at the various material providers in the marketplace, and we're curating and finding what we think are like really good materials. And then we will validate those and in some cases also uh, bring them into our platform and, and resell them. And we, you kind of get our stamp of approval that, hey, we think this is a really good resin. It's superior to its peers in terms of performance or some other aspect, maybe price, uh, value. And we'll make those Nexa branded. But then our systems are also open. So if you want to go ahead and, and find a resin that you prefer or a color that you need, we also have an open system where you can unlock all the same controls that our internal process team uses to develop resins. I understand that another way the the Zip has been built is to really consider sustainability. How does the Zip ecosystem address this? A lot of people complain in the desktop space around the amount of waste that's generated. I think 
Mm. People in the industrial setting, maybe they, 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 they know that waste is a byproduct, but I think at the desktop, when you're using a printer as an individual, it maybe come, might come as a bit of a surprise. So the one thing that, the well, two things we're doing in terms of our resin management, uh, we are using aluminum uh, bottles that uh, they themselves can be made from recycled material, or they can also be recycled themselves after use. We also have the ability to refill them. And then the second one is in our vat system. So we have an interchangeable membrane and, and a solid metal vat. So when your membrane uh, exceeds its life or maybe has a puncture or something like that, you can just simply unsnap the membrane and dispose of that and snap a new membrane in. And that that's a really big uh, improvement um, compared to some of the other systems where you're basically throwing away the entire vat. And that's a lot of uh, energy that you're throwing away in that process. Uh, so those are the two things around resin management. And then I guess lastly, the zip itself, uh, we chose to make it an all metal machine. Um, many desktop class machines are made out of plastic. So we're kind of making this sturdy, robust, rigid system. And then our goal in the future is to uh, make modular enhancements to that core so you, you, don't, you don't end up throwing away your printer just because you want to upgrade its internal components. For more information, visit nexa3d.com. One, one thing I did want to ask, given that, you know, Formlabs has got such a presence in, in the healthcare sector already, what, what do you think um, or what are you hoping to add to that as, as president of, of Formlabs' you know, healthcare division? Um, so first and foremost, I think building out, the, I mean, it could have been anybody in this role, so I'm excited to be here and be representing the, the president of the healthcare business unit, but just the fact we're building that, this healthcare business unit is all about driving focus and attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the short term, it's all about optimizing our products, our go-to-market strategy, our service solutions, for all those indications we talked about that are already um, uh, where our 3D printing is already being being used today. And then in the long term, um, it's really important for us to continue to look over the horizon and try to anticipate which bets, which strategic bets we need to take. And that's a big challenge because there are a tremendous amount of, of opportunities in front of us. And the key to our success and key to any success, or frankly, any business is making sure we don't spread ourselves too thin. So the, the pros of 3D printing, you can you, it, it can apply to anything. The downside to 3D printing is it can apply to everything. <laughs> so as a business unit, um, you know every business has a a, a, a set amount of, of capital to 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 invest, and we just got to make sure we we make sure on the short term we're focused on improving how we go to market, but we pick the right surgical uh, we, we we pick the right strategic bets to bet on. Um, and, and that's that's what uh, I hope to to bring. And then there's also these these other things that you can't always predict. I mean, you can't always predict the horizon. I mean, there's an unbelievable story um, that I'm sure you probably heard a little bit about re- within COVID, which none of us could have predicted. Um, but at the time uh, during COVID, there was a, a lack of, of swabs um, of there's a supply chain issue. And um, with the help of the University of South Florida and Northwell and the FDA, uh, we are, we were able to uh, deliver a solution and an STL file. We were able to to validate clinically uh, through evidence um, a a solution that anybody could use in the world. And we ended up by um, 
by printing using our printers tens of millions of swabs globally across 50 plus countries i think actually usf um university of south florida estimated roughly 70 million swabs were printed um in and some of these are in developing countries where there was a a, a big issue and, and challenge in providing um care for a lot of people that were sick so be able to actually through swabs help help triage patients um and and um and do all the right things with patients was a, was a literally save lives i mean that's 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 really cool to be part of so when we look at the horizon there's also things we can never predict that one we could have never predicted but um but also to me that's a, an unbelievable story of how you can provide accessible 3d printing and the value you can bring right and on, on a supply chain front um again the stl file was sent off globally they were printing locally that could only be done with an accessible printer that was delivered across the across the globe so um very very excited to see that so yeah looking at the horizon as well we'll, we'll play strategic bets and then we'll we'll keep a, an eye out where um for opportunities like where 3d printing can can help support uh patients like like this COVID example and swab swab example in terms of like a strategic bet as you as you put it how do you I guess a how do you identify what is something to go after and, and b how do you how do you develop a strategy and how do you um I guess roll that strategy out to a to a team of people within this business unit yeah it, it, it it's the way you you figure out which strategic bets to take is you start by first listening and listening to our to our customers listening to um to uh, practitioners uh paying attention to to clinical evidence that's being developed and then and then also the beautiful thing about being able to deploy printers all over the place is that people start using them in a lot of different ways that we could never imagine. Mm. So keeping your pulse on how, how, where are the disruptions occurring is, is a big part of what we are able to do because we don't have a centralized location where you got to call us to print something. We deploy printers all over the place and you can imagine how you can take advantage of an you know of a wealth of of ideas and creative minds across the globe um so keeping your pulse on kind of what's going on what's percolating is is certainly a big piece of it um again this is also the challenge because now okay how do you triage that and the way you triage that and the way we're what we're working on today is um we we've got a select number of applications that we've identified that are potential bets that we need to think about um then we start to break it down by criteria um okay what's the what's the market size do we have a product that we can actually uh, use do we have a resin do we have a um the know-how the core companies to go solve that through uh through product iteration or, or new product development what's the regulatory landscape looks look like um what's the reimbursement landscape look like um and so we look at a number of facets of criteria actually we have like a, a dozen of these criteria and we sit down and we look at um you know where where is the data pointing us towards and then ultimately you you take science and you take gut and you put it together and then you you make it you make a decision mm -hmm. um so the key is you 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 gotta have the mindset of of wanting to be able to take bets and then knowing that some are going to fail yeah right you can't you can't go into these decisions thinking all oh, these are going to be success you know i take we take five bets maybe one will be success maybe two will be success uh, but you you can't be afraid to fail when you when you take those bets or else or else you'll 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 be very limited in your in your uh, in your approach and and potential outcome. Mm -hmm. um, one of the as I understand it, one of the tasks uh, at Form Labs um, 
for, for you in your position as um, president of Halfco is to create a global growth strategy that spans product development and, and go-to-market planning. So can you can you tell me, I guess, what the challenges are there and how um, you and, and your colleagues plan to address them going forward? Yeah, sure. So um, first, it's it's good to know where we are today, right? That's the first assessment we're going to take. So at Form Labs, we have a global footprint at is, as is. We've, we've got 10 offices across the Americas, across Europe, across Asia Pacific and you know APAC. Uh, and we have 300 global distributors already aligned. So we're, we already are a, a global uh, distributed business, uh, including manufacturing um, uh, on, on a global scale. Um, so when it comes to our global strategy, the, fa- the, the fantastic part that I'm in here in this, you know, in the healthcare business unit is we've already got the foundation, the network, the, the human resources uh, on, on the global front. We, we're not starting from scratch where we're a US-based business. Now we got to think about how we deploy. So the deployment is already there. Now it's a matter of, of, of making sure that we're overlaying our focused healthcare strategy on top of that existing infrastructure. Uh, and it's a great, again, it's a great situation to be in because the hard work's already been done. Now it's a matter of making sure we're aligning De- deploying the right assets in those exist that existing infrastructure to make sure it's aligned with the global strategy. The challenge is to answer your question on the challenges is in any global multinational. I've been there when I was at G Healthcare for for just under a decade. Um, you got it, it's very easy to start to deviate and different strategies start to emerge from different poles, from different countries, from different sec- uh, uh, and, and you got to be able to be nimble enough to be able to. To support that, but at the same time, make sure we're we're still globally aligned. Uh, clearly, how we sell in 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 China is going to be different on how we sell in the U.S. versus how we even sell in 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 Europe. Um, so you got to be nimble in how you distribute, and your products may have different needs. Um, and that's kind of the the magic of of running a kind of a global business. But the infrastructure's there. Got to we got to have an overall global strategy that everyone's aligned with, and then we got to be nimble on some nuances uh, depending on where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you've touched on this, I think, um, a little throughout the conversation today, but what do you see as <clears throat> the opportunities within healthcare um, that a company like Form Labs is going to be able to pursue in the short term and the long term? Yes. So in, in, in the short term, we, we need to make sure we continue to lay the right foundation to further our success. We, we can't be complacent. We can't be. We, we've had a lot of success. There's a lot more to go. Uh, as we further move to the right in the adoption curve for whatever application we're talking about, and we, we continue have we continue have to to um, to lay that round foundation. And what does that foundation mean? Well, it depends what application you're talking about. But you, you know, yesterday I was just recently on a call with some folks uh, with RSNA, Radiology Society of North America, and the um, and the SIG Foundation, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a special interest group focused on 3D printing. And, and discussing the reimbursement strategy and the CPT code strategy that's already in place. So those are things that are kind of you got to roll up your sleeve. They're not gonna they're not going to deliver short term results. We, there are level three CPT codes. Level three CPT codes are reimbursement codes that are not yet reimbursed, but they're used to track you, the utility of that application. Once you get to a certain critical mass, a publication gets generated. Then it gets then a level one code gets generated, and that level one code then is reimbursable in a 
and a, the RUC committee establishes a price for it. So, um, so those are things that we, we continue have to focus on, on, okay, there's, there's revenue to be had tomorrow. We're business. We got to deliver, we got to deliver revenue. We're selling printers today. Um, but at the same time, we got to continuously focus on what are the right bricks we got to lay for the future to make sure we continue to move further right in the adoption curve. Um, so that's that, that's that's the balance of what we have to do. Um, you used, you've used a couple of words I wanted to to pick out. One of them is is reimbursement. Um, the other was um, you know regulation and all of the regulatory stuff that that you, you have to you have to go through in, in an industry like healthcare. Um, can you talk to me about the I guess the importance of reimbursement goes? I did a, an article about eighteen months ago about use of three D printing for um, like pre-surgical models um, that, that help the surgeons to plan. And um, I was hearing a lot about the, the kind of importance of a reimbursement code in terms of that application becoming the standard of care. So what does the industry, what the companies like Formant need to do to kind of make reimbursement codes standard? And as you say, then that allows you guys to, to drive revenue, but it allows potentially an enhanced level of, of patient care once um, those reimbursement codes are in place for an application like that, which then, you know, the adoption can, can really increase. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, I guess, form labs and, and I guess the wider 3D printing industry, the work that needs to be done there for that to become a reality? Yeah, so uh, reimbursement, clearly in any industry, if you're gonna pay for a procedure, you're gonna pay for a part of a procedure it's clearly going to create more adoption because mm -hmm. like it or not, people will gravitate towards, you know, wanting to make more money. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the, the reasoning we're doing it. The reality is if it's actually delivering value, it's not necessary. It really isn't right. So in surgical guides, there is a, a global reimbursement code for any type of surgery. And if, let's say I'm not getting reimbursed for it. But I can reduce operator time by 50% as some studies for certain applications can accomplish. And I can bill more for knee surgeries, but I can reduce the time. Do I need a reimbursement code really to, to deliver true applications? If my product, my solution is truly delivering that kind of value, I almost don't need reimbursement. Mm -hmm. um, reimbursement is, is icing on the cake because, again, people are going to gravitate to wanting to get that, that, uh, that reimbursement. Uh, and that clearly drives behavior. It's almost the wrong behavior you want to drive. It's, it should be kind of a nice to have, but not a must have. So I, I, uh, I understand that it's, it's super necessary. And clearly, as I just shared with you, we're, we're engaged and we understand the value of a reimbursement code. And we'll, um, and, and our, our role in that is actually um, is more as an influencer. We cannot be part of that uh, directly. It has to happen through the societies. It has to na naturally occur. Um, and we can help in, in, in developing and collecting additional clinical data that will support those discussions once it gets to the level one codes. And, and once you get to a level one code, that's just the beginning, by the way, because then you need private payers to then support and have positive coverage policy. People mm -hmm. tend to say, I got a level one code. I'm going to have a do a victory lap. That's just actually the beginning, maybe another two to four years, because like it or not, private payers, right or wrong, don't want to pay anything uh, mm -hmm. in their world, right? And unfortunately, patients have a three-year, on average, what, two to three-year life within a private pair. So if for Blue Cross Blue Shield is looking at an application 
and it's helps surgical outcomes and something that's going to benefit the patient five, 10 years down the road, that actually doesn't come into the equation of a Blue Cross Blue Shield that says, you know, on average, a, a, a patient is in our system for two to three years, probably having a function to how long people typically work for a company and, and have that access to that payer. So it's kind of like a necessary evil, but a super important part of the equation. Um, I'd like to believe that if you're doing something clinically valuable, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's not necessary. And um, obviously I'm, we're, we're going to continue pushing that envelope and supporting those, 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 uh, uh, that process, but we don't intend, we don't believe that it's, it's, it's a must have. Mm -hmm. Does it, does it change at all with say, take, you know, the U S healthcare system, the UK healthcare system with completely different models. Does that, does that affect what you guys do at, at form labs in terms of the, the services and the products you're providing when one is a predominantly private healthcare system and the other is a predominantly yeah. public? Yeah. And what I just described, thanks for, thanks for, for clarifying that point. Cause what I just described is very U S centric, right? Sure, it's yeah. Procedural level type of um of reimbursement very short-minded not necessarily long-term minded um and in the uk it's a very different in europe it's very different um, in general in, in europe there's much more of a long-term look at it there's some pros and cons to that model uh, there's pros and cons to the cpt code model in terms of access to care so uh, we can get in a whole debate and a number of podcasters to talk about which model is is the better one but um but certainly yeah, it's less necessary, clearly less necessary in Europe, where if I can reduce operating time by half yeah. and reduce complications because I'm reducing the, 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 when you reduce operating time, not only can you do more operations, which is super important in the UK where access to, to surgery may, may, may be a long queue. So that's relevant. But more importantly, if I can reduce complications, meaning I can reduce the number of, 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 of costs associated with taking care of that patient that naturally fits perfectly in, in the European system. So mm -hmm. thanks for clarifying that. It's a lot easier pathway to, to Europe and impacting the bottom line than it is in the US. Sure, yeah, I can imagine. We're coming to the, the end of our, our time today, Guillaume, but um, to, to summarize finally, um, could, you, could you explain, I guess, the vision that, that you and the rest of the, the Form Labs um, leadership, the, the Form Labs, healthcare team have for for 3d printing in in the medical and, and the dental industries for healthcare in particular it, it truly all starts with the patient and delivering meaningful solutions that improve patient care if you don't get that right it's kind of a non-starter you'll mm -hmm. place some printers they'll sit there they won't be used you you have to truly meaningfully deliver solutions that improve patient care. And if you do that right, you're, you're, you're gonna have better patient outcomes, the partners you're dealing with, the, the whole supply chain is gonna, is, is gonna benefit. Um, and if, you, if we can do that while being true to our mission statement, which our mission statement is providing high quality, accessible 3D printing, um, we can accomplish our, our mission of enabling everyone to be able to print anything, anywhere. Mm -hmm.